Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. The 8 o'clock hour is here. It's a Tuesday, so that means Mr. Jay Walker is with me. There's there's um, a little window here where yeah. I can see you. It's not a very big one. Yeah, there's, uh, there's screens all over the place because one screen is currently out, so the bottom line is with sparing you all the details, there's just this little little open space. But we can still see each other. That's right. That's right. How are you? Good. I, I I did cover it a good bit yesterday, but I do think the highs and lows of a sports broadcaster, being that I have a play-by-play guy in here with me, needs to be brought up one more time. Sure. Our boy Paul Allen. I love him. He's. I mean, he's like, he's... Can I speak for both of us when I say he's like one of our heroes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, get in there! You know, from look at that powerful kid dominate the ups and downs of no to yes. Now, usually it's on different plays, right? But on Sunday on the Vikings Radio Network, he managed to do it all in one play, the final play of the game. Yep. And it was. The Vikings, God bless them. They played their tails off. They come back. They're set up to win. 38-yard field goal to win it on the road against the Cardinals. Nice snap. Put down. Joseph, come on. It is good. No, he it's missed no it. Good. He missed it right. He missed it. It is good. No, he it's missed no it. Good. It is good. No, he it's missed no it. It's no good. Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Oh, Are my heavens. Oh, oh my! This he missed it right. You know what? That's a nightmare for a play-by-play guy. Now, I think most football play-by-play guys maybe have on a PAT or field goal been like, "Good, no, no, it's that," but not on the final play of the game to that degree. Right? You know, look, I'm I missed a call in the game on Thursday. And and it was the touchdown right before halftime. I said he didn't get in. And then the, the guy's arms went up. Now, can you imagine if that would have been the last play of the game? Okay. Good. No, he missed it. I just, I'm trying to think of a poor Vikings fan that only has Paul's voice in that moment. The celebrate, like they're just feeling what he's feeling. The thing is, as <laughs> I don't have the longer clip of the call, I need to find it. He, he keeps talking. He's like, it was really close, only by a foot. And then they show the replay, and he, his partner's like, ah, it wasn't that close. <laughs> and it really wasn't that close. It's hard to see those angles, but like, Jay, on a, on a field goal or a PAT, you just wait for the to see the ref signal, right? You, you wait to see. The, there, there are a few ways to do it. You could look at the monitor, but it's usually a couple, three seconds behind. If you have a monitor, and of course in the NFL they do. Um, or you can wait for the official signal, or you can look at the reaction of the players. That's that's how you do it. Nice snap, put down. Joseph, come on! It is good! No, he it's missed no it. good. Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Oh, Are my you heavens. Oh. oh, my. This, he missed it right. I mean, their 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 emotions are just it's it's the Viking it's Vikings radio. 
Well, and and you had you know a few years ago, Blair Walsh to get uh, to advance in the playoffs, uh-huh. and and you know he now he didn't miss call it. He just you know it's up and oh he missed it. Um, he didn't he didn't call it like that. It was it was uh, it was a bit bit more bit more emotional than that, Jay. You know, bit more emotional than that. Blair Walsh from twenty seven yards left hash. Snap good, spot down, Walsh's kick is up, and it is no good, he missed it! Are you kidding me? The season can't end like that! He missed it left! And the Seattle Seahawks are off to Charlotte. Blair Walsh missed a 27-yard field goal, and the Minnesota Vikings are going to lose 10-9. to Heartbreak for him. Heartbreak. And I guess for old time's sake. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. Near side to the 40. And John Sullivan runs him down at the 47-yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what I just saw. Looking at that play, he should have just held on to it, Paul. He should have. He could have easily gotten five or six yards if he would have just pulled that thing down and dove forward. But why do you even ponder passing? I mean, you can take a knee and try a 56-yard field goal. This is not Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl. Now, as much as we talk about Paul Allen's emotions, and Gus Johnson we talk about often as well. We do. He was on the TV call for this. Right. Good stop. Lead Hall for the win. I don't know. I don't know which one's better, Jay. Good stop. Lead Hall for the win. Unbelievable. And the Cardinals survive. 34. It's amazing. It's amazing what you guys do. That is all great stuff right there. That's tremendous. ESPN 1420. Um, About this, I know you did as well. Scared money don't make money. He doesn't seem like someone that likes sort of a lot of attention for those kinds of things, and yet in talking to him, he's like, look, Anything that's going to promote the program, get people talking, I I'm all for it. And uh, and that that got look. If you were watching the game Thursday, and and I was there, and you were there, obviously. Uh, and if you were a college football fan, UL fan, Sun Belt fan, Ohio fan, you were watching. There were some people on TV that were flipping back and forth. You had a close NFL game, so when you got sports fans everywhere that may not be following the game that closely, and suddenly on their social media timelines is. Billy Napier, Billy Napier, Billy Napier. Oh, Billy Napier's a national treasure. Oh, my God, this is great. Oh, my God, I love this quote. Oh, my God, I love this clip. That kind of stuff matters, man. Even though it 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 was it's sort of an inadvertent promotion of the program, it was a huge promotion of the program. Last night over at Pete's, they had these large $100 bills with Billy's uh, picture on it and, you know, scared money don't make money. And he told me that um, – before they ran the play, he said it in the headsets to his assistant coaches. Scared money don't make money. We're going. That's great. 
And, and he, in the video clip, it's almost like his eyebrows kind of raised, like a little like Jack Nicholson look. It's like, look at Billy. Scared money don't make money. No, no. And in that that play, which was extremely close, um, that Jay miscalled. It was it was really close. So he gets in. Montreal Johnson, by the way, Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Week. Um, talk about momentum. I mean, now you've got a two-score lead. You get the ball out of the half. You go on a long, sustained drive. You get another touchdown there at the goal line short yardage. And at that point, it's like they're gassed. They're done. They get a stop there. They feel totally different going into halftime. And uh, you know what, Coach Napier? Scared money don't make money. Let's roll with it. It's that close. You know, I asked him yesterday about analytics say one thing, but how much do you have to just have a feel for the game? And he's like, it's both. You know, you use analytics as a guide, but – a sheet of paper doesn't sort of show tempo, game flow, and just overall feel. Like when you're just watching a game, the things that you can't really put into words or put into a computer that would totally make sense. And uh, in that moment, it felt like the only way to go. I was not surprised. I expected him to go for it. I expected Montreal Johnson to get the ball. Um, I make it, take it is one of the biggest moments in football. When you can get one going into the locker room and then get one coming out of the locker room, that that can break somebody's spirit. And I think that's exactly what happened. It was, it was a, It's a seven-point game. You score. Now it's a 14-point game. And then you come out, you sustain a drive, you score another. Now it's 21. Game's over. Why would anyone that wins the toss not defer? You know... Billy will do it about 90% of the time. There will be some times where he feels like it's really important to get on the board first because, it, it you know, maybe it's a game in which you're in a little bit of an underdog and you want to go ahead and make an early statement. But other than that, you know, and, and I, I haven't done it. I'm going to do it because I've got, you know, what, 39, 40 games to look at. I want to know how many times on the last possession of the first half that Levi Lewis has led this team to points. The two-minute offense, whether it's at the two-minute mark or at the one eleven mark or whatever it was week before last against Nichols, it, it, the hurry-up offense for the Cajuns when they're up against the clock, the last three seasons has been extremely effective. Yep. And, you know, for for however you feel about Levi Lewis, in that structure of the offense, in that particular regard, there's no debating there. If you want to debate his play in certain areas, when it comes to the two-minute offense... He's the best the Cajuns have ever had. They go down okay? the field and they get points. Let me say it again. He's the best the Cajuns have ever had. And there is no debate on that. You know, a friend of ours used to say, and you can disagree with me, but you're wrong. It's not, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. <laughs> so I'm, no, I, um, I'm going to go back because I, I want to see how many times they've scored on the last possession of the first half. Southern this Saturday, 5 p.m. Central time. Richie Falgu in the booth again this week with Jay. Um, the old triple option, huh? Yeah and no. They they still run the option, okay? But 
made the comment to somebody, I remember right around the time they joined the league, they might not throw the football 100 times the entire season. They're averaging 24 passes a game so far this year. They have a new offensive court, new offensive staff. And while some of that has been because they've been behind and, and, and had to throw it, they're throwing the ball early in games too. It used to be if it was third and seven, well, they're just going to run the option. And that's not necessarily the case now. They still run the option. It is still the main part of their offense, but they they don't run it as um, as much and as, um, I, I don't know the word, but they don't run it as much. They don't run it as frequently. Or and it's not like the mo- it's not not like a necessity. You know, it it third and seven. Well, we have to run the option. That's been the mindset for years at Georgia Southern. I mean, even back before Jeff Monken, going back to all the guys that they've had there. It it is it it is different right now. And I'll tell you what, Georgia Southern fans don't like it a bit. It's it's very simple. It, if you come. Oh, you know, it's so weird. We're, we're glad. We're glad. Uh, you know, good luck to you uh, in your interview. By the way, if you get this job, we run the option here, and there are no options. It's a weird thing. It's it's a weird thing in D one college football. Like I get it if it's a high school. It's it's a weird thing to be sort of stuck on of this way, no matter what. Army like, and Army and Navy. Yeah, you know, that's there. There aren't a whole lot more schools other than Army and Navy. Like it, it could come about if that's what a coach does, and that's what a team's going to run. Okay, but when it becomes sort of like this is part of the culture and identity, I'm not even. I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I just think it's weird. It's well, it's different. I think it's weird. It's different. Like it's a, it's a weird thing to have so much pride in that. Like I guess, look, if if you're winning all the time with it, sure. But like you know, at the D one level, if another coach comes in and wants to, you know, change something, if you're going to be like, I hate this because it's not a certain way. I mean, I, I don't know. It seems weird. When the Cajuns were looking for a football coach in two thousand, um, at the end of the two thousand ten, going into two thousand eleven, one of the names that came up was the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech, who had been at Georgia Southern, a guy by the name of Mike Seawalk. Mm-hmm. And there was some talk and there were some folks that said, you know what, with, with what we have and what we do and with it, it might not be a terrible idea to go to that because you can get smaller, quicker offensive linemen. They're easier to recruit than going after the big guys that everybody else wants. But Mike Seawalk was probably – God bless him, one of the more boring individuals you ever talked to. It was like, if I get this job, do I, I like, have to get up and talk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you part do. Part of being the head coach. Yeah, part of being the head. And so, and who do they hire? They hire Mark Hudspeth. Give me the mic. Who, yes. Well, I'll tell you what, go bench press 500 pounds. And wear a schmedium. But no, it, you know, he was the total anti-Mike Seawalk. Um and as it turned out, it was the right hire for the Cajuns at the time. But it was it was something that uh, that the administration had considered, and, and I understood why. Yeah, but it would have been weird if 
under this hypothetical, suddenly it like this has got to be the way forever now. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way. Whether it is, it's that coach or a different it, one, they'll drown you in Eagle Creek if you don't run the I, option. It's so weird. I, again, I get it at the high school level. I, it it just at the D one college level, it just feels weird to me. And I like you know, look, Danny Reed, all the people at Georgia Southern, they it's they're good people there. I know, oh, I know, you're going to have a good time in Statesboro because of. Um, just well, because of that community. Well, we're staying in, in Savannah, okay? But but Beautiful you're right. Savannah. Now, I, I got to tell you, there is something about, and this is true at Appalachian State as well, there's something about an on-campus facility. And George and Paulson Stadium's right in the middle of campus, just like over at App State with Kid Brewer Stadium. They've got one of the most loyal student bodies at football games you know, there's never a question, are the students going to be there? Mm-hmm. They're always there. Same is true at App. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have an on-campus facility. I'm interested when we go to South Alabama the following week. Now, they we're going to see Hancock-Whitney Stadium for the first time, which is on the South Alabama campus. Um, but they that's a good tradition over there at Georgia Southern. They're, they're students really set the tempo as far as atmosphere is concerned. And they're always there, and they're always faithful. What's your take on South Al? They're 3-0. and I don't know. beat Southern Miss, Bowling Green. I, here's, here's, here's the deal on, 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 on South Alabama. They now think they can win. They have a new head coach, young guy, one of the youngest head coaches in the FBS They've gone out, they've won their first three with a new head coach. They think they can win. Now, do I think they're a really good football team? They're probably better, but they they beat they broke away from Southern Miss in the season opener because they they were able to get three turnovers in the second half. Then they went to Bowling Green. Bowling Green's not a not a, a great team out of the MAC. But it still feels like it's a game South Al might have lost last year. Correct. But they but they went up there and they won. And then they trailed at halftime against Alcorn State before they righted the ship and, and wound up winning by 14. So there's nothing in their scores that makes you go, whoa, because Southern Miss is not good this year. Okay, they got a new head coach in Will Hall. They've had, they're having a, a, a tough, tough time scoring points. Um. You know, Bowling Green is is not going to you know make any noise in they, the their their barrier is a week from Saturday, and they got a bye week before they host that, Louisiana. But they think they can win. They've got two weeks to prepare. It's going to be very interesting. Cajuns got to get by this one, but then they really got to pay attention when they get ready to go to Mobile. Now, here's the good news, as far as Billy Napier is concerned. He has, since he's been there, reminded his players that games in your division count double. And it's a Western division. Billy Napier lost a game to a Western division team since he's been at UL. Why start now? Really? Louisiana, uh, Raging Cajuns at Georgia Southern this Saturday, then South Alabama the following week at 7 o'clock in Mobile. And then you got some uh, Tuesday night action against App and kind of crowd you expect and I know it's a ways away. Well, you know, I I think that 
Weather's always a factor. Okay, let's assume we're going to have a nice night. Um, I think that the, the administration is already working really hard on campus to draw attention to this game. You know, they've already said, scared money don't make money. They got 2,000 t-shirts for the, for the first 2,000 students that uh, come in the gate. Those dollar, $100 bills that they had at Pete's Lot, they're going to be all over campus. Um, so they're really making a push there. Scared money don't make money. And, you know, for your, for your Cajun fans, it's App State. You know, this is, this is the team that's kind of been the gold standard since they joined the league. And you, you finally got them last year in Boone on a cold, nasty night. And you win that one. If you go on to win your division, there's a really good chance you're hosting a championship game. So I think Cajun fans understand the opponent that's coming in and how important the game is. So I think if you um, if you have good weather, I think you have a chance for, by midweek standards, a very good crowd. ESPN fourteen twenty. One more thing about the Sun Belt. Texas State losing to Incarnate Word. And that comes the week after they went on the road and beat FIU. Coach Babadol, is he in trouble here? No. This is his third season. Now, I will say this. There's a new athletic director coming in. Okay. Larry Tice, Dr. Larry Tice retiring. And a guy, you're not going to forget his name if you're a longtime football fan, although there's no relation. Don Coriel is is the gonna is the new AD. So I say no, he's not in trouble, but he's got a new boss. Um but the same president. You know, Dr. Dr. Denise Trout is is still the president there. No, I think they made the commitment to Spavital. And this is year three, okay? I don't think they're going to run a guy off that they made a big commitment to. $105,000 a year. Yeah, and, and, and they, you know, they, they made a big production out of hiring this guy. And so I think, I don't think he's in trouble. I think he's got probably two more years before we can say he's in trouble. Better win some games, though. Incarnate Word, man. Oof. Incarnate Word. You know, there are three teams playing the Southland Conference. And there are only six teams in the league now, okay? But Southeastern, with Cole Kelly, a quarterback. Nichols, we've seen what they can do. What a player. And Incarnate Word, those three teams can put a lot of points on the board. And so when they start playing each other, um, you know. Take get, the over. It, get, but take the always, over. always take the over. Take the yeah, over. There's going to be a lot, a lot of points scored when those teams take play Take the each over other. because... Scared money don't make money. I mean, come on. You don't take the unders. That's no fun. Uh, college football in general, Jake. Clemson. Where, where are you at with the, with the Clemson Tigers? I'm selling. I'm they're, selling. Like, their standard is, is as high as it could possibly be. But yes. here's the question. The, the quarterback is, is... Wake Forest the best team in the ACC? No. You think they're better than Clemson right now? I'm saying that I'm not buying Clemson. They're, they're still the best in the ACC, but they're not un, until somebody beats them. They're not I the Clemson that we've we've seen the last few years. They they can't score. That's 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 right. 
You know, and and so now they're very good defensively, but they can't score. And so I'm not sure that Clemson's the best team in the ACC. I'm not sure that the ACC just isn't, by ACC standards, a down league this year. It's bad. It's bad. It's not good. Um, Florida State's awful. North Carolina, we saw what Vitek did to them. We saw what West Virginia just did to Virginia Tech. Clemson is still good, but by it used to be Clemson's one of the best teams in the country, and you have a few teams ranked in the teens, and that's it. Now you got Clemson that's probably more of a top 15-ish, maybe back mm-hmm. in the top 10 instead mm-hmm. of one or two, and then I don't think, maybe North Carolina's still ranked, I think, but they're not. Wake Forest and Boston College are the two undefeated teams in the ACC yeah. right now. That tells you what you need to know about the ACC. There you go. ESPN fourteen twenty, in the SEC, Jay. Um, look, LSU. They can't run the ball. That is correct, and that's the problem. Now, I will no, that's say that's one of the problems. I will say that's the biggest problem. I think the off- the offensive line against Central Michigan. The difference between how they looked against McNeese and Central Michigan was very different. Um, you can say what you want, but they were in a situation where it was a must-win game against the MAC team, and they looked they and not, look and as, not the top of the MAC either. No, they didn't look as lost defensively, uh, with the exception of two plays. Uh, Max Johnson showed okay if you give him time, he can he can actually play. Mm-hmm. Um, but not being able to run the ball, and uh, I they're opening an SEC play this week. In Starkville against Mississippi State, who just lost a heartbreaker with a very controversial call to Memphis. Um, how many games do you think LSU wins in the SEC this year? I think their high watermark is three. Mississippi State, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, Ole Miss, Arkansas, A&M. I think their high watermark is three. Two of those three teams aren't ranked right now. One of them is who they're playing this I, week. Look, I can make a case for for them going 0 and 8. Man. Now, I can't really envision that, but I can make a case for it. And if they don't win this game on Saturday, I I'm just here to tell you, this is the biggest game of Ed Ogeron's tenure at LSU. Because if they do not win this game, they might be staring 0 and 8 right in the face. Old Miss later this year. Remember before the season started, I said look out for Old Miss. Uh-huh. I said they should be ranked. They're good. Ole Miss. They're good. Ole Miss, Alabama, A&M, and Arkansas are four teams right now that I don't think LSU can beat. Kentucky's 3-0. and I don't know how good they are. They're better, and that game's on the road. I know, I know. It's hard. They, they haven't played an opponent oh, yet. Oh, I forgot Florida. Oh, well, yeah, Florida's uh, – that's the – that's when why the, I say the high watermark is three. When the season opened, they were the only team that was ranked in terms of the first team they played on their schedule was ranked. But Auburn is better than expected. Ole Miss is I, better than some expected, not me. And Arkansas, obviously, is better than people expected. You get, you get Auburn at home next week. So if you start 2-0, and oh, now, you know, now the, the excitement builds, the confidence builds – and maybe you wind up managing to break even in the SEC, 
but I think that's the high watermark. I just don't think they're good enough. They 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 can't they can't run the football. Their offensive line can pass block, but they can't run block. And Bo Pelini wasn't the whole problem, obviously, because they're still not a team by even close to being by LSU standards. And you've got NFL talent on the defense. You know, maybe Cade York can kick 70-yard field goals the whole game. I don't know. He's pretty good. No, he's very they good. They lost Andre Anthony as well, which is which, which is tough, man. I mean, he's a six-year senior out the rest of the season with a knee injury. Um, I think I the thing about the thing, the defensive issue with LSU is I can foresee a scenario where they they improve and get some things right. Maybe they don't. But last year with Pelini, it felt hopeless. I don't see a scenario where the O-line suddenly is just going to start excelling. That it, there are certain parts of LSU's team I could say, look, this has been bad, but you could if you could maybe talk me into they're going to be better at this point in time later in the season. I don't see a scenario where the O-line suddenly when they're going up against some really good D-lines in the SEC are going to just suddenly it's going to click and they're going to be great. I I had um I, I you know even before the season started, you know, the, these guys were making predictions, right? And and everyone I see, I see they got LSU in the Outback Bowl. And I said, what are you smoking? You know, I mean, they might have three teams in New Year's Six Bowls, you know, counting the counting the playoff and stuff. But LSU, the fourth best team in the SEC, uh, that would be a no. I thought they I thought they could win eight or nine games this year. And then after watching them against UCLA, I, I changed my mind. But I thought, look, having Pelini gone, the defense will be better. And the offensive line, it's not necessarily a good thing that a lot of guys are coming back, but there is something about continuity and players just getting better. And that, to this point, I, it's Tigers. I, I, this is a big one on Saturday morning. This no, is a it big is. One. It's a huge game. It is a huge game. You know, and if you're going to get three SEC wins, the next two are must wins. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Auburn at home, and you got them at eight o'clock at night, which is kind of cool, you know. But you got to go win in Starkville first, and and that's a Mississippi State team that we thought we're going to hang hang a hundred on them last year. They were they were so good offensively, and then it turned out the next week they scored two points. Yeah, it was more about LSU's defense than Mississippi. Yes, State. it was. We'll see what happens Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff from Starkville. Uh, that one will be on ESPN if you want to watch it on TV. Louisiana taking on Georgia Southern, 5 p.m. Central Time Saturday, pregame at 3 o'clock. Steve Pelican, Richie Falgu have pregame, and then Jay Walker and Richie Falgu have the play-by-play. He's omnipresent. Color analyst and uh, Cody Juno on the sideline. College football, baby. Love it. All right, up next... Terrible. Tune Tuesday on ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Living just an emotion, hiding somewhere in the night. Working hard to get my fill. Welcome back. For those of you that are listening to the show on demand via the podcast, you uh, missed a epic, terrible tune Tuesday today. Featured whistling and animals and all kind of fun stuff. As we wrap up today's show, Jay, 
three. You got like three screens there. It's got me all confused. Anyway, as we wrap up the show today, um, your letter grade thoughts on the Saints? Um, a. I'll give him an A. What? Atrocious. It's like where are you going with this? That's um just bad. That was the, actually by far the worst offensive performance of the Sean Payton era by a lot. How much of that was missing people? How much of that was just the Saints sucking? Um, missing the majority of their offensive staff and key players. Yeah, it. it's it was both. You know, um, they they weren't good. I, I don't think anybody was good. Um, you know, we saw Tampa Bay's Jameis on uh, at, at the game Sunday. But, yeah, I mean, th- all of the above, okay, they played badly, and they had people missing, and they had coaches missing, and and you wound up with the perfect storm. I don't think they're as good as the team that beat Green Bay. I don't think they're as bad as the team that we saw on Sunday. That's right. They have, and I've said this a lot, this was before the season, of all the teams in the league this year, I think they have the widest gap between floor and ceiling, and some Sundays are going to remind us of that. Well, I think the first two did. Yeah. I think you're a genius. Oh, thank you. So that's you don't so really give think you, that though. I give you the letter grade G. That is Jay Walker, the OG. I'm Scott Prather. It's always fun catching up, my friend. Indeed. Shall we do it again next Tuesday? Let's do it. Coming up next, Greeny. Tomorrow on the show, working on a number of guests. We'll chat with Wilson Alexander about LSU football. We'll chat to Big Sauce Taylor Humphrey, the nose tackle for Louisiana. Ralph Malbro, the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Chris Lano going to talk some Cajuns. A lot of great guests tomorrow. Looking forward to talking to you guys tomorrow morning. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN 1420. We'll touch the sky.